Hello, and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker podcast series presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and people of color while creating amazing films. I am your host, Mark Morin, and today I am speaking with Mae Makino, the director of In Between Girl, a movie that world premiered at South by Southwest and is also an official selection of CamFest. On top of that, it is AAPI Heritage Month, so we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to talk about. Mae, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for being here. Now, first, let's talk about South by Southwest since that was your premiere. So congratulations on the world premiere of your first feature film and also congratulations for In Between Girl winning the Visions Audience Award. Tell me about your experience with South by Southwest. What a great place to start your festival run. Yeah, thank you so much. That's really sweet of you to say. It was a really great learning experience. It was amazing to kind of go on the virtual platform of South by Southwest and watch all the movies because when you're the great thing about getting into a festival is you get a free pass. Um, so. <laughs> That was really exciting. I watched a lot of shorts, which was a lot of fun. And I did a lot of press, which was the first time for me since I am like a first time director and it was my premiere. So just like kind of learning for me, it was learning how to talk to different press outlets. And it was like kind of surreal watching the film because it was virtual. So it was like me and all my producers were watching it together. And, you know, we've seen the film like hundreds of times at this point. So we were just like quoting it. But then there was like this weird feeling that like, oh, people who aren't us are watching this right now. Like, oh, this is so weird. But all in all, it was a it was a really great experience. And, you know, In Between Girl is set in Texas. Our, our crew and cast are predominantly from Texas. So, you know, premiering at South by Southwest in Austin was just like, you know, couldn't have asked for a better premiere. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad you had that experience. Now, talking about the movie itself, In Between Girl, your lead character, her name is Angie Chen, and she's played by Emma Galbraith, is a mixed-race Asian-American teenager who is dealing with a lot of the issues that teenagers, mixed-race teenagers, and specifically Asian-American teenagers go through. So there's really a lot going on with the story. So tell me why this story in particular was important for you to put on screen as your first feature film. You know, it's funny because when I first wrote it, I wasn't even really thinking of making it. I was, you know, in a writer's group and I had been out of college for a few years and I was actually teaching filmmaking at the time. And I was like, oh, like, that's so fun. Like I was writing scripts for my students and shooting them like weekly. And so I decided to start a writer's group with a few friends from, you know, who, who I'd gone to college with and work. And, you know, I, I, I was just doing it because I, you know, I think when you're creative and you're not creating, you kind of like miss something. And so for me, I was like missing that creative outlet for myself. And so I just kind of put pen to paper over three months and, and wrote the first draft. You know, I wasn't thinking of making it, but then people in the writers group and another friend were like, no, like you should actually pursue this and make this. And I was like, do you think so? And they're like, yeah. And, you know, so I would like to say I had the foresight and the vision automatically to be like, I'm doing this. This is the right time. But I think really it was just like needing to create something and, and having that, you know, feeling to first write it and then being peer pressured into it by my friends that ultimately made it happen when it did. 
Oh, that's great. Sometimes just things work out when you're not expecting them to. That's, that's really fun origin of the movie. Now, Angie herself is an artist in the movie, and the sketches she creates are like really cool, really fun little cartoon sketches. Now, who did you have to create those sketches? I, I was really curious because I like the artwork a lot. Yeah, um, the artwork is phenomenal and it's made by my good friend Larissa Ametova. And the funny thing about Larissa is we met when she was in fourth grade and I was in fifth grade at an Episcopalian private school. And she's half Mexican uh, and I'm half Japanese. We're both half white. And then we kind of were like, we never talked about the fact that we were like one of the few people of color there, but I think the fact that we were both people of color like made us relate to one another. Anyways, we like ended up becoming friends pretty early and we made lots of movies together and she was always drawing. She's always just been a super talented artist. You know, I remember seeing her stuff showcased in Hobby Lobby when I was seven very talented. We would make movies together, you know, so she was always drawing and I was always writing and then we would make silly sketches and we had all of these plans to like become YouTube famous like you do when you're in middle school. But she is very, very talented and really, I mean, I think one great thing we had in post-production was if we had something that wasn't working, we still had this way to get into Angie's headspace still by using the drawings and be, like, you know, calling up Larissa and being like, hey, like, can you draw this? You know, four hours later, she would draw, draw me something, I would put it in the timeline and it was perfect. So yeah, Larissa is phenomenal. Oh, that's amazing. As far as the character of Angie, who again was played by Emma Galbraith, how much of the character did you have already in mind before you cast her? Or I guess how much of it was developed after she was cast? Yeah, so I would say the major beats with Liam were still there. The story with the parents was actually a little bit different. But anyway, so when I, once I casted Emma, because originally I had had Angie be half Black and half Mexican. And so I kind of went into auditions thinking like, okay, I'll cast, I'll, I'll do a wide net. Anyone who's non-white can come audition for this role. And Emma came in and was just phenomenal and great. And so... I decided to make the character half Chinese and half white just because that's, you know, Emma's background and I wanted it to feel really authentic. And so a lot of Angie's heritage is based off of Emma's heritage, you know, in the movie Angie's dad is from Fujo in China and Emma's Emma's mother is from Fujo in China. So that was really great and she was really helpful like I would have questions to be like you know, if I reference this place, is that going to be like touristy or is that going to feel authentic and real? And, you know, she would respond and, you know, Emma and I would just talk a lot about being biracial and being a biracial Asian, which I think is like when Angie was half black and half Mexican, you know, it was easier for me to, you know, see experiences, friends or students. I had known like and write about that, but I think when I casted Emma and made it a lot more personal because we had a lot of really similar experiences and you know, about a year before we would just talk about them. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence to be like, okay, this is an identity that is like real and that I can write about. You know, I think casting Emma gave me a lot of permission to explore some insecurities about my identity that I had been kind of keeping below the surface. Oh, interesting. That sounds like you you actually learned a lot yourself in uh, creating this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this movie 
was a life-changing experience for me. And I don't say that lightly just because, you know, it's just like when this was my first feature, so it's like there's so much stuff I didn't know, you know? And I was lucky that I had a really supportive team and I met super supportive people along the way. I met a lot of people who had similar stories to me because I think for me, like my experience is very much like Angie's, like I have a white mother and you know i went to schools that were predominantly white and so it's like when you're the only person who looks like you you're often looked at as the spokesperson which is so frustrating i can't tell you how frustrating that is and then you know i went to college and i made in between girl and i met all of these people who had similar experiences than me and it was like really cool to be on a set that was you know, majority female and Ivy Chu, you know, our director of photography, Ivy is like Taiwanese and she is amazing and great. And I've learned so much from her. So it was just great to be in a space that was so diverse and to not feel alone in struggles that I had had. That's amazing that you're able to get all of that experience. Now, you had mentioned both you and Emma having experiences in life. Now, there's a particular scene where Angie meets her friend's mom and the mom really makes it awkward and cringy you know, because she just rattles off a bunch of different things that we consider stereotypes you know, without really realizing at all that she's even doing anything wrong. To her, she's having this like fun and conversation with this young girl. Tell me about this particular scene. It really felt like that's something that you wanted to really put out there and say to the audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think growing up, I just received so many microaggressions from white people. And like when, you know, you're younger, you're not researched, you don't have the resources yet yet. You don't realize they're microaggressions. You're like pressured to put on a happy face and deal with it. And you're super uncomfortable. And so I kind of wanted to portray that because it's like Angie can't tell this woman why are you talking to me like this? You know, she she doesn't have that confidence and she doesn't you know, she's not super educated about race yet. And so kind of like, that's how I felt a lot of the time growing up is like, people would say things to me and I would grin and bear it and like hate myself. And so I would want, I wanted to like, to pick that. And hopefully I like one thing, if this makes any influence at all, like it's just a movie obviously, but it's just like, I hope white people see that and be like, oh, like that's really uncool. And it's not cool to other people and we should just talk to each other like human beings. Oh, absolutely. It's a really good point. As we're talking about these topics, I hope people understand that your movie isn't really heavy and preachy and condescending at all. You know, it's a really fun coming of age story. So, you know, as we're talking about these type of things, I, I hope people you know watch the movie and, and look at it as maybe potential learning experiences or experiences that they can relate to depending on, on where they're coming from. Thank you for explaining that as well. I, I appreciate that. Now, as I mentioned earlier, your film was selected for CamFest and this is AAPI Heritage Month. For people that don't know, it's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So what does it mean to you as an Asian American filmmaker to have your film in this festival during a month that spotlights Asian Americans and also during the time that has been pretty volatile for Asian Americans as well? 
That's a that's a good question. I think I'm really excited about like celebrating these stories and watching these stories. Um, I know we were talking like right before, and you recommended a bunch of movies to me. And being a filmmaker in the fest, I get that free fest pass. So <laughs> right. I definitely am excited about learning and taking advantage of all of these great films about out there and all of these great stories. And I think on the other end of the question, you know, I think. It has been a really rough time for Asian Americans, and I think, like as a filmmaker, it feels—I mean—tough reconciling everything while still wanting to celebrate your own work. It's like something that's like very complicated for me to deal with. I would just encourage it, everybody to like, while we're celebrating, you know, these stories about Asian Americans. I think representation is just like one piece of the puzzle. You know what I mean?、Right. Like in terms of like making real change, I would like encourage everyone to educate themselves on Asian American history, on different Asian American organizations, just to learn that kind of, you know, hate crimes that we've been seeing are, and not to take the podcast to this dark place, but you know, like this is nothing new. You know what、right. I mean? And I, I think. The Asian American community kind of gets a little frustrated because it's like you, we feel kind of invisible, and it's great that people are starting to pay attention. But I think it's just a matter of like we all need to work to learn more about each other. Right. No, it's totally true, and I think one of the issues that's causing a lot of the you know violence that we see out there, the racist comments and actions that we see out there, people just don't know. You know, there's I guess a level of ignorance, and you know a lot of things that have carried over through generations of stereotypes. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely happy to have these opportunities to do these interviews to cover this festival, and maybe people will learn and start to understand and start to relate to people more. So no, thank you for explaining that. That's really good. Shifting gears a little bit, I guess the tone of the questions. What is the number one thing about making this movie that makes you feel gratitude? Um, I think just meeting everybody. I mean, I think one thing I really loved about our cast and crew was like we were all there for each other, and you know we all learned from each other. And just having the opportunity, and you know being so lucky to have all these talented people work on my movie, like I'm so grateful for that. Now I remember myself as a little kid watching Star Wars for the first time at a drive-in theater where I grew up, and I can point to that moment and that movie as why I'm a fan of cinema and why we're having this conversation right now. You know, I created the podcast so I can talk to filmmakers just because I love everything about movies. So for you, is there a moment or a movie that you look at as the reason you decided to become a filmmaker? I remember watching The Parent Trap. Probably over a hundred times, <laughs> and I just thought it was like the best movie ever. And I remember my friends and I would play imaginary games and like, you know, role play the two twin girls. And I just think that film was just like really influential on me because it was just like so charming. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't want to say it was the reason I decided to start making films, but that was a film that definitely left a huge impression on me. Nice. Now, who would you say, maybe a director, or producer, actor, actress, who has been the biggest influence on you as a filmmaker? Oh man,、mm. I I take influences from lots of different places. Chantel Ackerman, like I've only seen Jean Dillman, but I remember like while I was making In Between Girl, 
I would watch all of these interviews with her and she would talk about making John Dillman like when she was like 24 with an all-female crew and how she like wasn't doing things in ways the actors expected and like how she was kind of a rebel and so Chantal Ackerman was somebody I regularly thought about while I was like in pre-production for In Between Girl just because I don't know her story is so awesome and it made me feel like I could do it And I would say in terms of writing, Mike White is someone who I really, really admire and like. School of Rock was like one of my favorite uh, movies as a kid. (laughs) Again, I probably saw that a hundred times. And then something like the, the series, HBO series Enlightened, which he wrote every episode of, like that was hugely influential when writing In Between Girl because the voiceovers in that show were just so thoughtful and so smart. And it really was a great guide for writing Angie's voiceovers. Yeah, so I don't know, like those are two two people, but I'm influenced by so, <laughs> so many, many more. No, that's great. Those are great examples. Thank you. Now, who inspires you that's not a filmmaker? I feel like I get when I was a teacher, I mean, this is going to sound so cheesy, but I was really inspired by my students just because like, you know, the organization I worked with talked a lot about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And a fixed mindset is where you go into something and you're like, this is my level. I'm not going to change at all. And this is the way it is. And a growth mindset is this is my level. But if I work hard, I can get better. You know, and I think for, you know, a lot of my life, I would have a fixed mindset about things, but, you know, having to teach my students the difference between a fixed mindset and growth mindset and seeing them actually have a growth mindset really inspired me because it just, you know, I would see how much they would grow and get better and be confident and not let things get to them. And watching that process was super inspiring for me. Oh, it is amazing what we can learn from kids, isn't it? It is, yeah. What is the number one thing you learned, not as a filmmaker, but as a person or as a human being from making this movie? I think that you have to be realistic about how much you can get done in a day. I think one thing I learned was I might just get one or two things done, but if I get one or two things done super well, that is a good day, you know? Because I think sometimes I would go into it and I would think about the mountain rather than like the next step, you know? Because it's like when you think about the mountain, you're like, oh my gosh, I still need to cast. I still need to get a location. I still need to, you know, find a production designer. Oh my gosh, how are we going to pay our editor? You know, like there's like a million different things when you look at that mountain. But if you just look at the next step, which is like, The next day, I am just going to work on act one rewrites, and that Mm -hmm. is it. That was really beneficial to me, just kind of taking things bite-sized. Oh, that's amazing. That's a great example. I know that's something that I've learned over time as well, is you can easily get carried away with that bigger picture, but once you narrow things down and say, what's the one thing I need to do next? It really does help. So I'm glad that's something you're able to learn. Now, you had mentioned the Angie's narrative. I thought it was a really unique idea to use her creation of a time capsule to be that kind of arc of narrative. Where did you come up with that idea to use that? I thought that was really fun. Well, thank you so much. I was actually teaching a film camp at the time. And one of the projects we were doing um, was basically the girls 
would write poetry and then they would shoot something and edit it together. Um, and one of the prompts for that was my future, like a letter to my future self, um, which I thought was interesting. And I think that was the seed, but then, yeah, so like that was the seed. So I, I, I decided to be like, oh, like I'll write a character writing to her future self. And then the time capsule element was something that I, you know, I had friends in high school who made time capsules and I always thought it was like a really fun, nostalgic thing. But then like, as I was writing, I found that it really fit in well thematically because I think one of Angie's problems is she's never happy in the present. You know what I mean? She's always like, well, this was like cut out of the initial monologue, but she's, you know, she's talking to future Angie and she's like, you know, Am I a famous artist? Do I have a gallery? Do I have a boyfriend? Do I have this or that? And she's so focused on like what her future self has that she's not thinking about herself in the present. And then it's also like all of her past is blown up because her parents just got a divorce and she's still trying to hang on to that past. And so the time capsule felt like the perfect kind of thematic thing to fit in it. And I just want to say, I wrote this film before eighth grade. Because I know like a lot of critics are like, oh, it has like the time capsule element. I, I remember watching eighth grade and I was like, oh, am I going to have to redo my thing? Um, <laughs> but uh, my producer's like, it's fine. It's different enough. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I love it. It's a great idea. And one of the things that I noticed over the course of watching the movie is at the beginning, she makes a lot of assumptions about who her future self is going to be and what things that her future self is going to remember. A lot, just a lot of assumptions about, about herself, really. And over the course of the movie, you see some of those things break down. So was that something that you were really mindful of as to how that time capsule narrative played out? I guess I wasn't super mindful of it in terms of like linking it to the time capsule. I was just kind of thinking about it in a way where it's like when you're a certain age, you think you know everything and then you get older. And like you said, you have all these assumptions, but then they break down because you realize that you're not the center of the universe. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Angie's like her relationship with Rebecca, you know, she says some line and she's like, you probably don't remember her, you know? Yeah. And at the end, she's like, maybe you do remember her after all. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where, where you, you grow up and you realize that like all the stuff you have, you know, the connections you have and the people who are kind to you and love you, like that's, this is so cheesy, oh my gosh. But like, <laughs> that's like what your life is worth living for. And I think right. Angie has a lot of superficial things in her mind at the beginning of like, oh, I want this great job and I want a boyfriend and I want all of this and that. And I think she, she connects on a deeper level to life by the end. No, it's very true. And, you know, you mentioned it's cheesy, but I think part of the reason why we think that is because it really is authentic. And that's one of the things that I really took away from the movie and the story that you're telling is it's a very authentic coming of age tale. I mean, it really gets into the mind of Angie as a character. And I think back, and you know, I obviously didn't have her similar experience for a lot of different reasons, but there was things that I thought about. I'm like, you know what? I remember going through something like that. And it, it was really kind of, it's touched me in a lot of ways that, you know, it was very relatable and authentic. So I think you did a really good job of, even though there might be a little bit of, of cheesiness, you know, sprinkled in here and there, I thought it is definitely worth adding that stuff in because it makes it more real. So no, it's a great insight on that. Thank you. Now you had your premiere at South by Southwest. 
your movie has been at Campfest. The movie is officially out in the world now. So how does that feel? And then what's next for you now that the movie's out there? I mean, I think like South by Southwest, I was kind of a little bit of a dramatic uh, <laughs> director because it's just like my baby's going out there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, I want to be a filmmaker. I need to get over the fact that people are going to see my work. Yeah, I mean, it's cool having it out there. And it's also cool because it's like, this is something I have been sitting on for a long time. And, you know, friends who have watched it have reached out to me. And it's like so cool that they've been able to see what I've been thinking about for so long. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a weight has been lifted in, in a way. Yeah, and for me, what's next is I want to keep making movies. I currently have representation in LA, which has been great. So I've been kind of learning how Hollywood works, which is, I don't know, it's just very interesting to see how the sausage gets made uh, with Hollywood movies and everything. I am hoping, I'm developing a TV show idea uh, with my friend Kayla DeLong, who um, is a very talented Filipino-American filmmaker. And so, yeah, we're working together every week and, and kind of developing this TV show idea. So. Who knows what it'll lead to, but basically for me, I just want to, you know, chill and make movies or TV <laughs> shows, you know. No, that's great. Thank you. And now for my last question, I want to go back to the, the time capsule idea. If you could say something right now to your 20 years from now self, what would that be? Uh, don't take yourself too seriously, because <laughs> I think like, I don't know, I feel like I've read a lot of quotes from people who are more successful than me, uh, who are just like, you know, don't take the work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. You know, I think whenever, you know, I do treat myself seriously in a way that like, oh, I'm an artist, like, no, like that's when the work gets bad. Like, I don't know. I think it's so important to have like a sense of humor about yourself. Right. Um, so that's what I would, that's what I would tell her. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Now, May, thank you for taking the time to speak with me and thank you for making such a fun and important movie. You know, I wish you all the best in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mark. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. This is the Changing Directions podcast series featuring May Makino, the director of In Between Girl. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes, and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews, including my review of In Between Girl, on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com.